0: Amen. Thank you, Nathan. That is a lot of announcements. But you know, I've been in churches where there's no announcements because there's nothing happening in that church. So, good for you. Glad to see there's a lot going on here. Uh, I love this church. I'm so excited to be here. I think I've only spoken here once before, and it was last year sometime. Uh, Just because I pastored a church, and then I was out of town a lot. I just haven't had the opportunity. So it's really good to be here. I was with Jamie when we were uh, trying to figure out where a church could be planted, and we finally decided that Eau Claire was the place, and uh, to be honest, there were times in those early days I wasn't quite sure this church was going to make it. Uh, they, and the early days, you guys met in a school, and the school supposedly gave, them, gave you a long-term contract, and then they decided to change their mind, and they said, nope, you're, you're out, and you guys were meeting in the park. And there was like 10 people meeting in a park, and I'm going, oh God, please, <laughs> you got to do something, and God has done a lot of things. And uh, I, I love so much uh, Pastor Jamie and Emily. These guys are dear friends of mine and ours. My wife is here too. Uh, they are such great people. If you know them, you know that. I don't have to tell you that. But if you're new to the church, these are high-quality people. I've known them a long time, and uh, just to give you a a little hint of that, there's a a mutual friend, pastor, that we have, that Jamie and I have, and he's been kind of beat up. Uh, He's gone through some hard times. Uh, A lot of our mutual pastor friends have kind of shunned him, put him at a distance. They're not happy with him. And when I see that happen, I go, well, I'm going to reach out. I don't really care if I disagree with him or agree with him. He needs to be loved, so I'm going to reach out. So I reached out to him, and we went out, had, had uh, some beverages together. And he said, you know, Remy, I really appreciate that, that you took time to seek me out. He says, you know, no one has done that. Well, two, two people have sought me out other than you. One is Jamie, and the other one is Pastor Kyle from Cedarbrook in Menominee. And I thought, wow. One, I was sad that there was only three of us, but the other part of me was happy because it was Jamie and Kyle, my two two good friends. So that was just great to see. So, great people, great church. Um, I love you guys, so I'm happy to be here. Well, I understand that you are in the middle of a sermon series looking at the seven letters that Jesus wrote to seven churches. And these seven letters are found in the last book of the Bible, which is Revelation. Today we're going to be looking at uh, chapter 3 in Revelation. And Pastor Jamie has asked you over the last few weeks to imagine if, what it would be like if Jesus wrote you a letter, or even this church a letter, right? So Jesus did that in the book of Revelation, and Jamie's saying, well, what if, what if he wrote us a letter? You know, what do you think that letter would say? What would that letter say to us, to you? What would that letter say to us as a church? Would it be to correct us? Would it be to encourage us? Or maybe a little bit of both? So far you've read four of the letters, and today I'm looking at the fifth letter, the letter to Sardis. And all of these churches are churches that are, in modern day, they'd be found in Turkey. And so I think we have a a slide for that, and you can see Sardis there right in the middle. Sardis was a city that was set up on a hill. It was very well protected from attack, so it was well known for that. It was also known, a little bit of trivia, they are the first people to ever uh, produce coins, to manufacture coins. And because of that, they became a bit of a financial center in that area. Now, I just want to read this letter to you right off the bat here. Read it all the way through. And again, imagine that it's written to you as a church. And just see, just let it sit with you and feel what it feels like to have this as if this was sent to you. So here we go. Jesus says, "I know your deeds, the things you do, and that you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead." So wake up. Strengthen what little remains, for even what is left is almost dead. I find that your deeds do not meet the requirements of my God. So go back to what you heard and believed at first. Hold to it firmly. Repent and turn to me again. If you don't wake up, I will come to you suddenly, as unexpected as a thief. Yet there are some in this church here in Eau Claire who have not soiled their clothes with evil. They will walk with me in white, for they are worthy All who are victorious will be clothed in white. I will never erase their names from the book of life, but I will announce before my Father and his angels that they are mine. So how does that feel? Warm and fuzzy? Not exactly. In fact, this letter is pretty much what some people fear is true about God. They fear that God sees them as some kind of opposer, not a real Christian, and when his light of judgment shines on them, they fear that they'll be exposed as frauds. And they're afraid that they just don't measure up. And meanwhile, there are some chosen people, some, a few godly people in their midst who are star Christians who will pass with flying colors. So what do we do with this letter? It sounds pretty harsh. I know what Jamie did with this letter. He said, I'm going out of town and I'm going to get a guest speaker because I don't want to deal with this. Thank you, Jamie. So if you don't like this message, you know who to talk to. All right. Well, so we have to roll up our sleeves and see if we can find anything helpful in a letter that sounds pretty harsh at first. But the first thing I think we need to do, it's important for us to understand the nature of correction because that's what these letters are doing. These letters are bringing correction and encouragement, but they're bringing a lot of correction And it's important for us to know that correction is a good thing. It's a good thing. People have have a tendency to read the Bible just looking for the words like love and forgiveness and mercy because those things feel good. We like that. But we tend to jump over the words about obedience and correction and judgment. And, And that's human nature. But the wise person knows that success at anything requires constant correction in fact, successful people will even hire a coach or a tutor or a trainer to give them the correction that others, they know others, are afraid to give them. They want the truth. So they invite people into their lives so they can be the best that they can be. But people that reject correction, they rarely succeed. And they can also experience some pretty serious things. We saw that in dramatic ways just two weeks ago. When people were warned to leave the Florida homes... And many of those people that refused to leave, refused the, the correction, the warning, they died. And so it should come as no surprise that Jesus corrects us because he wants us to be successful. He's not trying to be mean. He's try, not trying to be harsh. He's not trying to make you feel bad. He wants you to be a success. The book of Proverbs says this. He says, it says, don't reject the Lord's discipline. And don't be upset when he corrects you. For the Lord corrects those he loves, just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. Right? Amen. Okay. So, just need to establish this idea that correction is a good thing. And that's, as we, we listen to the words of this letter, it's like, okay, he's not beating us up, he's not trying to make us feel bad, he wants us to flourish, and that's why he's saying these things. Now, it's true that Jesus didn't mince words, he, he's pretty harsh, pretty blunt, and so we have to put on our big boy pants when we hear this, not looking for the nice, fluffy words. And we have to thicken our skin to see what he has to say. The first thing he says is that he knows their deeds. And he's mentioned that in other letters to these other churches in Revelation. And for example, the first book, to the letter to Ephesians, he said this. He said, I know your deeds. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. In this case, they're encouraging words, but he sees them. He sees the deeds. Jesus is always with us, and he's always watching what we're doing, for good and for bad. He sees our, our good deeds, he sees our bad deeds. And unfortunately, here in Sardis, he saw not much that he liked. Now, deeds are talked about a lot in the New Testament. Deeds are about how we spend our time, where we spend our energy. And they're very important. They reveal who we are. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talked about deeds. He said this, he says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And the Apostle Paul put it this way. He said, We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good deeds, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Deeds are mentioned 160 times in the New Testament, not as something that saves us, but as something that shows that we are saved, okay? Our deeds reveal whether or not we belong to God. And our deeds are intended to help other people see who God is by the way we live our lives. So deeds are very important. That's why God, Jesus here, is looking at the deeds of these churches. And so when Jesus looked in the deeds of this church, he was concerned because he wasn't seeing what he wanted to see he, he didn't see what he expected to see from his people and what he saw was pride okay he said that they had a rep- reputation for being alive but they were dead now we don't know what that means when he talks about a reputation it's, it's open to interpretation so we can we're just left to guess but whatever it was they were impressive They gave. They made a a reputation, right? They were well known in the community for something. Maybe it was spiritual gifts. Maybe there was healing going on and prophecy. A lot of exciting things. Or maybe they had a big building with a a great band and a fog machine and a fancy preacher like Jamie. Or maybe they were just proud of their town. You know, like we're the rich. We're the rich church because you know, like I said, they were a financial institution. That city was a financial institution. There were a lot of wealthy people, probably a lot of wealthy people in the church, and that changes the dynamics. We don't know what gave them this reputation that Jesus is talking about, but whatever it was, they impressed people. They just didn't impress Jesus. Jesus said they were dead. And that's sobering to think that we can be impressed when Jesus thinks that we're dead. Everything that you're so proud of, everything that you point to and show to other people, you talk about, and Jesus goes, that's not it. That's not what I'm all about. I'm sorry. You're off track here. It reminds me of what the Apostle Paul told the Corinthian church when he said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You've heard it before, but I think it applies here. He said, If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others... I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I'd be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. See, it's just so easy to be busy spiritually and even doing good things but being moved by wrong motivations. And I think that may have happened here. What Jesus is talking about here, he's talking about drift. And, And drift happens to the best of us. And it happens in a lot of different situations. You get off to a good start doing something. Could be physical, could be spiritual, relational. But then you get thrown off course. And that's why you need to be corrected. You need to be corrected to get back on track where you want to be. Correction is, is, is there to get you back to where you want to be. I mean, how many of you have started out to do something, let's say, don't raise your hand, but let's say to lose weight. And you were gung-ho at first, and you are all excited about it. You got the app on your phone, and you got the cool little outfit at the store, and you signed up at the local gym. But after a month, you realize that you were spending more time in front of Netflix than you were in the gym. That, that's Drift. And we do it in everything. You can think of how you're drifting right now and something you're thinking right now. You're going, oh, that's, right. that's what I'm doing, I'm drifting. You might be drifting in the sermon right now. You know, one of the reasons it's important to have a daily habit of prayer in Bible reading and isn't to be legalistic. I think sometimes people think that. But by having, making a daily habit, it's, you're preventing drift in your life, right? If you don't make it a part of your day, it may never happen. The same is true with worship on Sunday. You, know, you may think that all you need is Jesus in your Bible. And I think some people thought about that during the pandemic. You know, I don't need church anymore. I think I, think I got Jesus. I got the Bible. I'm good. But I think a lot of those people are realizing that they drifted. You didn't. You're here. And that's good for, good for you guys. But there's about half the church hasn't come back. Because they drifted. And they're still drifting. And hopefully they'll realize that at some point and say, you know, I was a lot stronger when I had a community. So what do you do when you discover that you've drifted? Jesus tells them three things in this short little letter that he has here. The first thing he tells them is to simply wake up. Wake up. In other words, pay attention to where you're headed because if you don't pay attention, things could get bad really fast. The other day, my wife Lisa and I, we drove up to Grand Marais, Minnesota on the north shore of uh, Lake Superior and she was asleep, and I was a little sleepy. She doesn't even know this, so she's hearing this for the first time, so. But anyways, I was really sleeping, and we've all been there, too. You know, we struggle to stay awake, and kind of like you're holding with one hand, and you're doing, all, I've been doing all kinds of things to stay awake, and at one point, sleep got the best of me, and I could, I could just kind of feel a, a weight of sleep come over me, and I just started to go like this, and then I realized what was happening, and i I kind of jumped up, and I think I got a shot of a shot of adrenaline that, that woke me up, and that was a good thing, so I got back on track, and Lisa was none the wiser until right now. <laughs> but that's, what, that's what, what Jesus is saying here. He says, when you, he, he says, when you, "When you drift spiritually, you need to wake up. Something's got to happen to wake you up. You need to see that you're in a perilous situation, and things will only get worse unless you do something. You take some kind of action. And that's what Jesus wanted. He wanted the Sardis Christians to be jolted into taking action. They had built their houses on sand, and so this is a warning shot across their bow. The second thing he tells them to do is to solidify their faith. He said, Strengthen what little remains, for even what is left is almost dead. Guys, you're down to the last gasp here. It's like a rotting post. I guess I've been on a farm for a few years so this relates to me. Maybe you can see a rotting post but they look good on the outside and they're all nice and round and you hit them and they just crumble because on the inside they got all wet and they started to rot. And he's saying, you think you've got an awesome deck but I've looked underneath at the posts and they're rotting and this death deck is worthless. Said, so you need to strip off the decking And you need to reinforce those posts. You need to tear it down before you can keep building up. And that's what he wants them to understand. And then Jesus said this He said, I I find that your deeds did not meet the requirements of God. He goes, Guys, you're, you're falling short. In other words, they weren't living up to their calling. They were spending energy on things that impressed them, but not God. And they needed to make a quick pivot. Third thing Jesus said they needed to do was to repent. He said, go back to what you heard and believed at the first. Hold to it firmly. Repent and turn to me again. Jesus, tell, Jesus tells them to remember the message that they heard in the very beginning. And that might give us a clue to what was going wrong in their church is that they drifted from the simple message of Jesus saving them and bring, restoring them to God. There was a lot of false teachings back in that day. In fact, some of the letters are about false teaching, so it could be true in this church as well. Wouldn't surprise me if that was true. They might have gotten into some false teaching, and they started preaching it, and it drew a crowd, and they got a reputation for it. But it wasn't the gospel message. It wasn't the truth. It's like what happened in the Galatian church. They drifted. And this is how Paul opened up his letter to them. He said, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. There are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So the Sardis church might have been religious and their worship services might have been dynamic. They may have appeared to be successful, but they drifted from Jesus. So let me ask you, Have you drifted? Have you drifted from Jesus? And I don't say that in a condemning way. It happens to all of us. We all drift at some time. So when someone asks you, like I'm doing right now, have you drifted? How are you hearing that? Are you hearing that as a condemnation? Are you hearing that as, oh, thank you. Thank you. I'm so glad I came today. I haven't been to church in three years, and I can't believe I came today. I've been drifting. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's you. Jesus isn't mad at you for drifting. He gets it. He knows that we're made of dust. But he does want you to wake up and he wants you to return to him so you can be successful, right? So you can be successful. I have a friend who is an alcoholic. And she's been in out of treatment so many times in the in the past years. And honestly, her life is quite messy. But she always comes back to Jesus. And I'm just so proud of her for that. Because even though she can be a mess and she can end up in jail and I mean there's all kinds of calls I've gotten from her. I'd love to see her back in church because she realizes that she's drifted. And she, she also realizes that Jesus will take her back. And that's what he wants. Well Jesus adds this warning. If you don't wake up, I will come to you Suddenly as unexpected as a thief. Now, he could be talking about the second coming of Jesus, but I think it's also true that if you don't wake up, Jesus will find ways to wake you up, okay? Just through consequences in life. And what I mean is you can correct yourself or Jesus will correct you. you know, so he'll send you the warning. You know, maybe you'll hear a sermon or something or maybe a friend will come kind of encourage you to get back on the right track and you're like, yeah, 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 whatever. And you don't listen. And so then some event happens in your life that wakes you up. It's like, oh my gosh, that's what my friend, that's what my pastor, that's what, that's what that song was trying to say to me, and I heard it, but I blew it off. You now we've seen this happen in churches over the past few years, even here in this town. It usually involves some pastor getting into, into trouble. But when the church fails to correct the pastor, the church typically ends up in the headlines, Right? And they lose people, and they have to rebuild. I think Jesus came to them and corrected them. And thankfully, many of these churches get back on the right track. Sadly, it took a lot of pain to get back on track. If they would have maybe listened to people before everything blew up, they could have spared themselves. But one way or the other, Jesus came and spoke to them, and they changed. Now, before we move on, I want to mention... Here, hear that impressive churches like Sardis, they can be very intimidating to maybe a smaller church. I mean, you look at this church that I'm imagining. It's just hopping. It's bumping. People are flocking to it, and it seems like they've got everything going in the right direction, and it can make you feel uncomfortable and inadequate. Like, what do they have that, that we don't have? You know, are we missing something? How come we don't... Have the excitement. Everyone's going there, not as many people are coming here. And you can feel that way with individuals too, maybe some friends, that they just seem to have it all together. And you struggle, and they just they're thanking Jesus and praising Jesus and they're getting a new job and they're getting a new car and whatever it is, and, and you just go, Wow, what what is it? I just want to point out that Jesus knows who is true to him, okay? And who isn't. Everything that glitters in Christianity is not gold. So be careful what you wish for when you see these impressive people in these impressive churches. You know, that hot church down the street might have big problems. You just don't know it. And that good friend of yours that seems to have it all together, they might be headed to a divorce or to addiction treatment. And again, you you just don't know it. So be careful. My caution here is just be careful not to let someone's reputation that seems so impressive intimidate you or depress you. In fact, Paul said that our goal shouldn't be to live an impressive life. I think this is such an interesting verse, especially in our culture today. He wrote to a church in Greece and he said this. He says, make it your goal. This is your, should be your big goal in life, to live a quiet life. Minding your own business and working with your hands just as we instructed you before. Then people who are not believers will respect The way you live. Wow. See, God's not looking for you to impress anyone. He just wants you to be faithful to Him. Okay? Okay, let's look at some other people in this church. We've looked at the negative side. There are some people doing the right thing, and He says this: Yet, there are some in the church in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes with evil. They will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. All who are victorious will be clothed in white. I will never erase their names from the book of life, but I will announce before my Father and His angels that they are mine. But the implication here is that the majority of the people in that church have soiled their clothes in some way. That's why he has such a strong rebuke for them. But there are a few people who said, "No, I can't. I can't do what the rest of the people in this church are doing." I don't care how impressive the church is. I don't care how famous the pastor is. I don't care that all my friends are really into it and they're all excited about what's happening there. I'm going to follow Jesus even if it means that I have to walk alone. Jesus said that these these people will walk with him in white for they are worthy. Now you have to be careful how you read this when you see that word worthy. Because he's not saying that they're saved based on their own merit. That's not the word that, he, that he's talking about here. Like, they, they've lived this perfect life and so they've, they've saved themselves because they're worthy, you know, perfect people. Now we, we know that that's not true. That only Jesus in his death on the cross makes us worthy. So what he's saying here is that these people have lived a life that's worthy of Jesus. The Apostle Paul called people to this life of worthy living all the time. For example, To the Ephesian church, he wrote this. He said, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. And and what does that life look like? Well, he explains it. He said, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And he wrote something similar to the Colossian church. He said, We have not ceased to pray for you So that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good deed and increasing in the knowledge of God. See, living living a life that's worthy means that you understand that Jesus died for your sins. And if he died for your sins, it makes no sense to to continue to live in your sins. And so instead, we say, no... Jesus, what you did for, for me and for all of us was so huge that it requires all of me. You know, I was listening to that last song about that alabaster song about pouring out our life, all my love, all my life, love, and, and all my heart. And I thought, you know, we sing about living worthily, but how often do we actually live a worthy life? I get convicted. I, I hope. I wonder how how... I'd like to have that discussion. How how do you deal with the disconnect between some of the songs we sing and how we live our lives? I wish I could live my life as much as those songs express. All my love, all my love. That's what he's talking about here. There's certain people in the church who live those songs. And he, he wants us all to have that. Living a life that's worthy doesn't mean that you'll never drift. It means that when you drift, like my friend I was telling you about, The Alcoholic, when you drift, you're committed to getting back on track. It means that you're open to correction. You're not resistant. You don't plug your ears when someone comes and speaks to you about getting off track. But you're open to it. and You're willing to do whatever it takes to get back on track with God. So what's the end result? of receiving correction, Jesus said this. He said, all who are victorious will be clothed in white. And I will never erase their names from the book of life, but I will announce before my Father and his angels that they are mine. That's what we all want to hear, isn't it? We all want to hear that we are his. It's a beautiful promise. That's all we want from God is to say that. And this is why Jesus dares to correct us, because this is what he wants for us, too. He wants this. He wants us to be victorious. He wants us to live a life that's worthy of him. And he's there to to give us all the grace that's necessary so we can live that life, because that's a life that's going to bring us the, the greatest joy and the greatest peace. So again, he's not here to beat us up. He's not here to be mad at us. He's here to give us the best life ever. So, if Jesus is correcting you today, I hope you'll listen to him. I hope he doesn't have to come quickly with some consequence to get your attention. I hope you can just say, you know what? I think I'm just going to listen and I'm going to respond. I'm going to repent. I'm going to turn back to him. And this is the good news because when you do that, that's when you, the, the story of the prodigal son needs to come to your mind because I guarantee you, when you turn and go back to him, He's going to be out there ahead of everybody else with a robe and a ring and a party for you because he's just happy to have you back, right? He's not going to be standing there with a list of all the things you did wrong and all the punishment that he's going to give you. No, he's going to throw you a party, okay? Let me pray for us. Father, correction is a good thing. I just ask that you'd help us to believe that. Help us to welcome your correction in our lives. See where we've drifted. Admit our mistakes and take action. God, give us the urgency we need to wake up and strengthen what little remains. And God, I just want to thank you that you welcome us back in love, not in judgment, with a robe and a ring and a party. And I pray this now in Jesus' name.